0: what's next in our world or really what's next in our country? And and how do we navigate the rest of this 2020 year? Let's just be honest. We have two months left in 2020 and crazy can still happen in those two months. It's just been a place that we've never experienced before. This is, I told someone the other day, I said, this is almost like an Ironman triathlon. Just when you think you're done With one event, you face another mammoth of an event that comes after it. You just, kind of like the triathlon, you just swim 2.4 miles and you get out of the ocean. And instead of resting, you have to jump on a bicycle and drive and and ride 112 miles. And just when you finish swimming 2.4 miles, riding a bike for 112 miles and think, okay, now it's time to rest – Now it's time to run a marathon. That's really what's been happening. This is like a triathlon. We have mammoth events that we're facing. Think about it for for a moment. Our triathlon is starting to look like this. We're faced with the possibility of a new president with a closely contested finish that could go all the way to the Supreme Court and blow up Washington, D.C. Our nation is a powder keg of political ideology. We're also hearing triathlon. This is our triathlon for 2020. We're also hearing of a European second round of COVID that we may be here in the United States getting ready for a lockdown that is gonna be coming our way. Our churches are mostly shut around the world and if open, it's hardly open. Can't sing, you have to wear masks and even our cities, my city, New York City is in disarray on and, and really on pins and needles for what is coming next. How do you know what to do as a leader, a family? How do you know what to do as a pastor and as a church and even as a nation? And as, Jer- as Joshua says, we've never been this way before. And really, it's difficult to know what to do. When I was walking the streets a few days ago, praying for our city, knowing that we may be on the verge of protests, I'm looking at the buildings and boy, physically, all the stores have boarded up Their windows because they were expecting protests right after election day. It looked like, it looked like down south, a hurricane was coming and probably was to some degree. And what's crazy is this, as I was praying over the city, my last 20 minutes, this is what I saw on the streets of our city. First thing I see is a man, um, being thrown out of a breakfast store. And threats going on, violent threats to each other. They're screaming on the streets of 8th Avenue. Within minutes, I come upon a, a trash can and there is a man who is beginning to look for his breakfast that I've watched him, that he's digging in, smelling everything from the, from, um, old milk to food. And he's looking at all this, thinking, thinking, this is my breakfast. And also, You start to think about this as I'm, as I'm watching this. I, I come across one of the makeshift, uh, restaurant stands that are on the streets to kind of expand their occupancy. And all of a sudden I'm watching a man in there who is shooting a a needle in his arm of drugs. This is, this is my city. This is what we're experiencing right now. A city that unemployment has gone from 3% to 14%, some are even saying 16%. And as a pastor, as a leader, and even as a dad and a husband, what do we do in this time? I heard someone even ask, um, saying, uh, Pastor Tim, what's the plan? What's the move forward plan for Times Square Church? And I'm thinking, the plan, how, how, let me ask a question. Cause I kept thinking through this. How do I get smarter without the experience of these kind of times? in fact, let me even just say it to you this way. No one on the planet has past experience to share for what we are experiencing right now. There's not a book, a person, a political leader, a religious leader that says, I've been through this before. So what do you do? But I I believe this, just because no one has ever had the experience, it doesn't mean that we're stuck. I believe God has helped me on how to navigate through this a little bit. This one verse has kept me moving forward as a leader and as a pastor. Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane said this back in the 19th century. He says, my church's greatest need is for my personal holiness. Boy, that's powerful. In fact, I was reading what one young pastor said. He said, my congregation needs me to be humble before they need me to be smart. They need me to be honest before they need me to be dynamic. They need me to be teachable more than they need me to teach at conferences. That's that's so powerful, and that's really what Robert Murray McShane is saying. He's saying my church's greatest need is my personal holiness, for me to obey God. So how do we move forward without knowing what's ahead and without experience? And here it is. I think David gives it to us. I think the I think David in the Book of Psalms, the largest chapter in the entire Bible says these powerful words. Listen to him. David says, I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. Man, this is, this is gonna be something for us today. In fact, another version says it like this. To, to, to make it clear, obeying your laws makes me wiser than those who have lived a long time. What David is saying is this obedience to God works faster than experience in life. So when I don't have the experience to move forward, I always need to go with obedience to God. See, obeying God helps me to move forward. Into an unknown future, personal obedience, personal holiness. The McShane, what McShane was saying uh, uh, over a hundred years ago. See, David was telling us that obedience makes us wise. Obedience catapults us me to, uh, to wisdom more than even education does, and degrees and experience. One of one of my spiritual fathers and spiritual uh, mentors from the past. Leonard Ravenhill said it like this he said maturity comes from obedience and not necessarily age that's exactly what David was saying in Psalm 119:100 100. see that word because when when David says the words i understand more than the aged because that's the key word that's where everything turns what he was saying was is that you can david was basically saying you can have an aarp card but age doesn't guarantee wisdom but obedience to god does So what does this mean? Just think for just a second, because this is important that we've got to deal with this personally before we go into politics. We've got to deal with this personally before we jump into a pandemic. So what does this mean practically so we can face this triathlon? What does this mean so we can face this brand new ground of, of this election that we're, this election year that we're, that we're going into? And, and it's this we must obey when we are Holy Spirit-led and we must obey when we are Holy Spirit-convicted. I'm dealing with us personally. I'm dealing with me personally. See, both leading and conviction needs our obedience. And what's the difference? Let me just unpack for a moment. What's the difference between the Holy Spirit's conviction and the Holy Spirit's leading? I I wanna make it as simple as I can. To be Spirit-led is really my next step that I take that pleases God. That's what spirit-led is. What is God speaking me to do through his word or or through 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 counsel, through through wise biblical counsel? It's taking that next step. What's Holy Spirit conviction? It's that pause and rerouting because I didn't take the next step, because I didn't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I could just say this as a growing Christian, I feel I get convicted more than I get led. But both of those, whatever, and I want to change that, but both of those need my obedience. And when you are convicted, we have to respond just as we're being led. That's why I love what one person said. They said, when you, when you can't lead by example, then lead by repentance. That really goes to the second part. When we're convicted, when you can't lead by example, then lead by repentance. A few weeks ago, I was down in, uh, to see my family as we're making the transition to get my whole family up here. And um, we're sitting around the dinner table, and we just kind of started uh, just having a fun time together as a family. And I'll uh, never—I remember that while we were there talking through, I was talking with my uh, middle daughter and and Grace um, Elizabeth, Who's got such a touch of God upon her life? I just remember we were kind of bantering back and forth, and I don't even know what brought me to it, but we started like rhyming things with her name. It we was going, Grace. I just said, you know, when guys come near you, you better use mace. Um and you gotta tie your shoe lace. And then just I don't even know what the context was. And I just said something to this, and don't be a disgrace, and we just kept going on. In a few moments, dinner was done. I was getting ready for bed. And we, we were, the night was, was shutting down a little bit early. And as I was laying down, I felt the conviction that, this, that God was asking me to be obedient to. The Holy Spirit literally just, I felt like it just spoke to my heart and felt the conviction. And said, Go back and speak to your daughter and say, please forgive me for using the word disgrace with your name. I don't want you to ever hear those words coming out of my mouth just to rhyme with your name. I just don't want you to ever hear that from her father. And and I knew that God was speaking to me and how God was challenging me. And I, and, and I had to, and I'll explain the battle that I had even to get up. But I went back, and Gracie was so gracious in just receiving an apology. She didn't think anything of it, but it was important to me because I didn't feel like God wanted me to to do that as a dad. I don't want her to hear those words coming out of my mouth. I want to be spirit-led. I want to personally walk with God right now. I want the greatest gift or the greatest need that Times Square Church has, that the church has for you as pastors, is our personal holiness, our obedience to God. A businessman who is known to be ruthless once told American author Mark Twain, he says, before I die... He said, I wanna make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He says, I wanna climb Mount Sinai and read the 10 commandments on the very hill that it was given, to which Mark Twain said, he said, I have a better idea. He said, you could stay right here in Boston and just keep them instead. That's literally the challenge for God for personal holiness, for personal obedience. And that's that's why as a people of God, whether we're led or whether we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, we are called to be obedient to him you know i started to realize is this i've learned that delayed obedience rarely turns to obedience delayed obedience rarely turns to obedience you know when when the holy spirit was convicting me i i i started to realize i kept giving god reasons why i shouldn't apologize to grace my daughter I, god i was and these these are the words that were going through my mind god i was just joking i was just it was just meant to be funny i'm already in bed um, I could do it tomorrow. I was just trying to be funny. Um, They're going to think I'm weird to apologize for something so silly. Listen close for just a moment. Listen very carefully. The more you excuse your actions, the more you distance yourself from obedience. The more you find excuses of why not to do it, you start to distance yourself. And delayed obedience rarely does turn into obedience. And I knew if I didn't get up at that moment, I wasn't going to get up and begin to go, Holy Spirit, lead me. Why? Because if I obey your precepts, if I obey your commands, if I begin, then obeying your laws makes me wiser than those who have lived a very long time. A precious woman of God from an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission, Joy Dawson, said these words, disobeying him, God, is the same as telling him is to hold back all of your blessings that come with obedience. And then she says, that's not only stupidity, it's insanity. And I want to obey God. I want you to obey God because literally it helps us to move forward into an unknown future. See, God will show us, but but it's our choice whether we're gonna go forward into it. That's why Psalm 32, eight says it like this. I'll instruct you, this is God speaking, and teach you in the way, here it is, you should go. He never says, I'll make you go, but should go means that God will direct you, but God will not make you go that direction. Because wisdom comes from saying, Yes, Lord. Keep those words in mind. Wisdom comes from saying, Yes, Lord, I'll take the next step. You're leading me. Wisdom comes from, Yes, Lord, I feel convicted. Reroute me. Let me pause. And make this right with an individual, with my spouse, with my child, with my church, with my pastor, with my supervisor. You know, the Apostle Peter said a lot of dumb things when you read the Gospels. Let's build three tabernacles, he said, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, he tells Jesus, you're not going to the cross. Um, when then Jesus literally says, get behind me, Satan. He also denies Jesus three times. But the words that make me cringe... More than any other words that Peter said, is found in Acts 10 when Peter has a vision that he is that that he is able to eat all things that he can um, that all things are lawful for him to eat. It's in Acts chapter 10, which opened up the vision and opened up the door to the Gentiles. Listen to these words in Acts 10, and you'll see how devastating these words are. Then a voice said to him, "This is in his vision. Get up, Peter, kill and eat them," meaning the food that he was seeing in that vision. Look at verse 14. These two words that have no business belonging together. No Lord, Peter declared. I'm just telling you, no Lord has to be the worst thing that Peter ever said. Even worse than I never knew you. I, 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 I don't know who you're talking about when he denied him. Think, think for a moment. No Lord? Are you serious, Peter? Lord. You're in charge of my life and you're saying no to him as if you know better than him. I We had a Japanese pastor come speak. He was a pastor ministering in the country of Japan. And I'll never forget the words that he said. He said, you Westerners don't know how to read the Bible. And I and I kind of perked up and I'm going like, what, what does he mean? He said, in our culture, because the way the the, the Japanese and even the Chinese characters are written— They're written really from north to south. He says, when we read the Bible, we read it like this. But when you Westerners read it, you go east to west, you read it like this. What he was saying was, we sometimes read it as a no, Lord, when we need to see it as a yes, Lord. See, every time you say yes to God, we get wiser and smarter. I believe holiness and obedience gives me wisdom for the next step, for what we're facing. Why is this important? Because folks, let's just be honest, we've never been this way before. We've never been this way before with an election and the political season that we're faced with right now. We may be on the other side of having a brand new president starting four four years, um, Year's, uh, four New Years with Vice President Biden, but we're in a polarized country and even a polarized church. And instead of knowing who is our president for the next four years, we're waiting for states to count ballots. We're watching lawsuits. And we're, we're keeping an eye on a Supreme Court that may end up telling us who won. We don't know what's ahead. We don't even know what the future holds for us. And I, I want to take practical and personal steps in being wise, in, in being obedient to God with what he's called me to do, I want you to do the same. I want to be obedient to God to give me wisdom of what post-election looks like. What do you do? What do you do if your guy is gone, be that President Trump or Vice President Biden? What do you do if the guy you did not vote for gets elected, Vice President Biden, President Trump? Regardless of who's in office, it doesn't determine what I do as a believer. It doesn't determine my obedience. See, this is so important. How do we navigate a possible new president or the same president? How do you navigate a second surge of COVID, civil unrest, closed church buildings? So whether, dealing with the political season, whether you voted for President Trump or Vice President Biden, I wanna give you a biblical perspective on how to behave, Christian behavior, post-November 3rd. How do we know the next step forward? How do we know the next step forward? And here it is. I I personally have to obey God in my personal life, and God gives me the wisdom to turn to, to move forward. Or let me say it like this. this 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 is really key. If I obey what God clearly says in his word, my path will get clearer in dark times. Let me say that again. If I obey what God clearly says for me, not not anybody else. For me, in his word, I believe my path, your path, as a leader, a pastor, as, as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, will get clearer in dark times. See, we want conspiracy theories that we can latch on to of what's happening and what's going on instead of focusing in on clarity. We want conspiracy. And I want to do my best to give you clarity in these times. That's why Psalm 119 is clear enough for me. I can't find the information I need to lead a church on YouTube or from the CDC or from DC. I literally have to go back to the word that doesn't change to get clarity on what to do next. So I want to give you two quick things using, in my sense, I want you to notice what happens when leadership changes, even in Israel, that may offer us some clarity, even in our personal obedience. Let me give it to you. Number one is this. Ask God for a second touch. I'm going to talk to you about King Joash in just a second, but ask God for a second touch. I'll tell you what I mean. I think we all occasionally, I know I do, need a second touch from Jesus. There's a story in Mark chapter 8 about a blind man that Jesus healed but touched him twice. Why? After his eyes were open, he saw things exaggerated. He saw normal things in an exaggerated way. Let me read it to you. This is Mark chapter eight, verse 22 through 25. And they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked them, do you see anything? Listen to this now. He looked up and said, I see men and I see them like trees walking around or like giants. He sees an exaggeration is what he begins to see. Now look at this. Then again, he laid a second time. He laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clear. The second touch helped him see everything clearly. I need a second touch. The church needs a second touch. Folks lean in on this. Listen to me close and carefully. When men are big, God gets small. When men are big, God gets small. Men are, men are getting too big. That's why God is fading out of the picture in DC. We, we, who who needs God in our government? We have men to guide us. We need to understand how big God is during these times and how small man is. There was a king in office in Israel. He saw men too big and even saw good men too big. Let me tell you about this king. It's in 2 Chronicles 24, verse 2. Listen to these words. Joash, that's the king, did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. So, so here's what happens before we read on. Joash was the king and Jehoiada, these are two important names, was the priest. And there is a line that we just read in verse 2 that worries me. And it said, the king did what was right all the days of the priest. And you're gonna see why this is wor- worrisome to me. The worst thing happens to this king, his priest dies, Jehoiada passes away. And so here's what I want you to get. Joash is the king, Jehoiada is the priest, and all the days of Jehoiada, his priest, his guy, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. What happens when Jehoiada is gone? Listen to those words. Here it is, verse 15. When Jehoiada reached a ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. They buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done well in Israel and to God and his house. Here it comes, folks. Strap in. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king and the king listened to them. They abandoned the house of the Lord, God of their fathers, served the ashram and the idols so wrath came upon them, upon Judah and Jerusalem for their guilt. Listen to the rest of it. Yet he sent prophets to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. Did you just see what happened? Joash is the king, did right as long as Jehoiada was there. But here's what happens. Listen, they were godly as long as their guy was in office. Wow. Stop right there. Joash, he was godly as long, he was obedient as long as his guy was in office. Your godliness, my godliness, better not be connected to someone else. Your godliness will not last unless you're connected to someone everlasting. Let me say that again. Your godliness, my godliness, will not last unless we're connected to someone everlasting. See, Joash was a was a good man as long as his guy was in leadership. So whether your candidate is elected, unelected, passed away, retired, served this term, got voted in, gets voted out one day. Let me just be clear: they'll all be gone. It doesn't matter. Here's its it is, it doesn't matter. If I'm committed to God who does not die and who is eternal, then election's results doesn't alter my obedience. And that's why, get this, God shakes our world and our politics to get us refocused on him. God will shake it all. When the church sees men as trees, good men or bad men, God will shake it up to show how small man is and how big God is. One Baptist preacher said it like this. Sometimes your medicine bottle has on it, shake well before using. That's what God has to do with some of his people. He has to shake them well before they're ever usable. Don't call yourself a Christian if you can't be Christian under a leader that you don't agree with. I'm called to obey regardless of who the ruler is, which party is in authority, whether it's my candidate or not. Listen, when I choose God, my obedience is determined by the king and not a candidate. When I choose God, my obedience is determined by the king. That's Psalm 119, 100. When I obey your precepts, when I obey your precepts, I can become wiser than those who have lived way longer than me. But my obedience is determined by a king, not a candidate. My, my, what I started to realize is that politics is really exposing Our relationship with God. Politics is really exposing the depth of our Christianity today. I love what D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, said. He said, Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. That's what we're supposed to be. Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. And there is a verse that asks us to shine. It is almost as if the Apostle Paul was living in 2020 and begins to lead a pastor, Pastor Titus, and says, here's what you need to tell your people during a political season. Listen to these words. He says, remind the people to respect the government. Stop there for a moment. Respect the government. Not your government, not who you support. Don't respect simply who you supported. He says that means Vice President Biden, President Trump, the the Speaker of the House, Pelosi. It could be AOC, or even the new Supreme Court Justice, ACB. And this is what he says, and be law abiding, always ready to lend a helping hand. No insults, no fights. Oh, my goodness. Listen to these words. God's people should be big hearted and courteous. Folks, when I choose God, my obedience is determined by a king, not a candidate. Then Paul begins to start in verse three to tell us why. He reminds the Christians, I want you to get this. Before I start reading verse three, he reminds the Christians of their past and he tells them when, if you're losing it politically, then you forgot your past and you've defaulted to an old behavior. Cause verses one and two is respect the, respect the government. This is the way I want you to respond. And then he says this. He reminds them. He says, if you're, if you're getting out of control with this, listen, church, listen, Christians. Here's what he says. He goes, let's go backwards. It wasn't so long ago, verse three, that we ourselves, out of the message translation, we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind, loving Savior God, stepped in, listen to these words, he saved us from all of that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good path and we came out of it. New people washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. And he goes on to say these words, God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more to life to come, an eternity of life. And he says, you can count on this. What's crazy, what happens next is he says, but there may be people that forget their past. And this is what he says to them. Warn a quarrelsome person once or twice, but then be done with them. It's obvious that such a person is out of line, rebellious against God, See, he's not responding to the Psalm 119, 100. His his obedience is dependent upon a candidate, not a king. It's obvious that such a person is out of line, rebellious against God. By persisting in divisiveness, he cuts himself off is what it begins to say. See, holiness is acting, is, is literally the life of God in us coming out of us. I was reading the story of a quarterback and an ESPN, an NFL quarterback, ESPN commentator explain, explaining um why he's divorcing his second wife and why he had an affair. And these were his words. God wants, and he and he inserted his name. God wants so and so to be happy. Did you just see what he said? His obedience was dependent upon his happiness. That's a joke. The former NFL quarterback and two-time Super Bowl champion's obedience was controlled by his personal happiness and not by an everlasting God. Remember, when I choose God, my obedience is determined by the king, not by a candidate, not by when I'm happy, but by a God who knows me inside and out. Let me give you a final thing and let's close today. People come and go and God stays the same. People will come and go but God stays the same. I want to close by giving you one more, one more leader in the Bible, Uzziah. We talked about Joash, whose obedience was connected to a priest. When the priest is out of the office, he's, he's into idolatry and abandoning the house of God. But the second king is really important. This is what I want to talk to you about. See, dates get blazoned on our conscience. For, for an older generation, if you were to say December 7th, 1941, people understand that's Pearl Harbor For another generation, um, if you were to say November 22nd, 1963, they know that was the JFK assassination. And today, this generation knows 9-11, September 11th, 2001, when our country was attacked by terrorists. Isaiah, the prophet, had one of those dates emblazoned on his conscience and in his heart. It was a date that his leader, that he loved, and who helped change his country was gone, not from an election, but from death. The leader's name was Uzziah. Let me read to you what Isaiah says. Here's his date. In the year, that's him saying December 7th, 9-11, November 22nd, um, 1963. In the year of King Uzziah's death, it affected him. Look what he says. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And then it says this. And one of them called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Listen, sometimes if you want to really see God, then see what happens when you lose your leader. Sometimes, sometimes. If you really want to see God, then see what happens when you lose your leader. Sometimes it takes losing something to show you that you can't depend on those things. It's exactly what happened with Isaiah. See, when things can be lost, then we're trusting the wrong thing. Israel just lost their king. That's that's where the death, that's where had that's happened. And it was in the year of King Uzziah's death that Isaiah began to see the Lord, which really is this, get this, Isaiah knew the Lord. But it was in tragedy that he saw the Lord. Isaiah knew God. God spoke to him. But when God, when tragedy hit, his, his king, his candidate is gone. That's when he saw the Lord. Let me give you some really good news. Ready for this? When your leader is gone, God is still on the throne. For Isaiah, a king died, but the king was just fine. For Isaiah, a king died, but the king was just fine because he is sitting on a throne that no matter what happens and what falls apart, our God is still on the throne. I heard one person say like this, if you can trust a puzzle company to make sure every piece is in the box to complete the puzzle, then why can't we trust God that every piece of this life is there for a reason and he's putting it all together? God is able to do it. That's why all of a sudden, Isaiah hears him call out. These angels call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, Today, in our English language, when we wanna emphasize something, we'll underline it. Um, you'll make it bold on the computer. We'll punctuate with an exclamation point. But in the Hebrew language, in order to make something, they didn't make it bold. They didn't put exclamation points. They just repeated it. Repetition was emphasis for them. When you see something said three times, like when Jesus would say, verily, verily, that was a punctuation point. That was a bold letters. Holiness Holy, holy, holy was what Isaiah was hearing. It was holiness is the controlling attribute of God. It's interesting. We want to say God is love and God is merciful, God is faithful, and that is all true. But only one attribute they say three times over, holy, holy, which means, that word means totally different than anything you can think or imagine. He is other. He is something that we can't even formulate. God is not like anything you can imagine. And then he says, the whole earth is full of your glory, which means God is not hiding. I just think sometimes we're just not looking. He's filled the earth with himself, but men are not looking. He's there. God is everywhere and we still miss him, but don't miss God today. Trump, President Trump will come and go. Vice President Biden is gonna come and go so will every senator, so will every political leader, so will every monarch, prime minister, king. Let me just tell you something. When people get big, God gets small, and those big people will come and go, but God stays the same. A king may be leaving a throne, a king may be ascending to the throne, but let me just tell you something, but we know the king that is not going anywhere, and that king, that God, wants a relationship with you. Can I remind you of something in this Tech technological society that we live in today, God has no phone, but I can still talk to him. God has no Facebook account, but I can still be his friend. God doesn't even have a Twitter account, but you can follow him today. Man will let you down. Whenever you trust in man, you will be disappointed. That's why I want you to understand what Romans ten eleven says. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him, listen to those words will never be disappointed. Whoever believes in him will never be disappointed. And this is your day. See, to believe in God is to become a friend of God. To believe in God is to become a follower of God. To believe in God, Jesus says, that's when it starts by being born again. In order order to follow and be a friend of God, you have to be born again. This This is the most important question I can even ask you today is how have you ever been born again? Because that really answers the question is how do you get to heaven? Because some people say, well, it's by water baptism or communion or going to church or being a good person. All these are are good things to say, but that's not what Jesus said. Listen carefully. Jesus uses these words in John 3.3 and John 3.5, unless a man or woman is born again, He can never see or enter the kingdom of heaven. See, there must be a relationship that you have with God called being born again, and that can happen right now, right now. You're watching, whether it's in your kitchen, your car, at a gymnasium, whatever it is, during your workout, wherever this is, you can be born again right now. Well, Pastor Tim, how can I do that? It's as simple as A, B, C. Can you explain that? Each of these letters, A, B, and C, correspond to a letter. It's A, admitting that I'm a sinner. I get honest with God that all of us have a condition called sin, and it can't be fixed by a promise, a program, a priest, or even a pastor. We need help to fix us. I am. Start with me. I'm broken inside, and the diagnosis is sin. And I have to admit that I'm a sinner. as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. And that second birth comes with the second letter, believe, be, believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. I can't fix myself. If I could fix myself, then why would God have to put his son through all the suffering 2,000 years ago? If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have had to come. Jesus' death was him being my sin bearer. It was Jesus paying the penalty for me. He was dying the death I should have died, living the life that I couldn't live and gave me a reward that I didn't deserve called heaven. And finally, the C word. It's admit, be, believe, and see, confess. Confessing Jesus as Lord. That's a big word. That Romans 10, 9, and 10 talks about that we confess him as Lord which basically means, boss, you're in charge. You're the one that's in charge of my life. See, do you think that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross just to get you to go to church? Just to get a, a day of the week from you? His goal wasn't to get you to church. His goal was to get you to heaven forever, not to church on Sundays. Coming to church on Sunday, that's religion. Being born again is a relationship that goes on every single day. Christianity is not coming to a person or coming to a place, it's coming to a person. And that person is now in charge of our life. I I want you today to realize that just as you had a first birth, physically, we need a second birth spiritually. And that can happen right now. And some of you may go, Pastor Tim, can you help me? Can you tell me what I need to do next? Because I'm not perfect. There's a lot of stuff going on in my life. Here's the good news for you. Perfect people don't go to heaven but forgiven people do. And today can be your second birth date. Today can be your born again date. And wherever you're at, whatever country you're from, whether you're right here in Manhattan, New York City, around the country or around the world, let today be your second birth date. You're gonna see God big and realize men are small. You're gonna have a second touch today to realize that all this stuff walking around you, these giant people, God is going to go, that's exaggeration. I'm going to show you how great and how big God is. I want to start that journey, Pastor Tim. How do I do it? I want you to pray a prayer with me. If you're able to, I want you to say it out loud. If you're able to, even as a family, I want it to come from the heart. This is not a magic prayer. It's a prayer that begins to incorporate those those ABCs and to say, God, I want you to be part of my life. I want to start this journey today. Come on, pray this with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, say it out loud. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so excited for the decision you made. And it was a decision. And if you've made that decision today, I want you to do something for me. I want you right now, whether it's off your computer or off your phone, to text the word DECIDED. You're gonna see them right at the bottom of your screen or lower third. Text the word DECIDED, D-E-C-I-D-E-D, to 88202. Let me just tell you, we, we, we wanna be able to help you on your next steps of what God has for you. Because on this day, we are obedient. We live for a king, not a candidate. We live for the King of all kings. Just go ahead and text that word. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.